Hello, and welcome to the Dr. Jocker's Functional Nutrition Podcast, the show designed to give you science-based solutions to improve your health and life. I'm Dr. David Jockers, doctor of natural medicine and creator of drjockers.com, and I'm the host of this podcast. I'm here to tell you that your body was created to heal itself, and on this show, we focus on strategies you can apply today to heal and function at your best. Thanks for spending time with me, and let's go into the show. If you've tried collagen for aging skin and haven't gotten the results you want, it's because most collagen is missing a critical ingredient. And without this missing link, collagen will not work. But if you have this missing link, you can turn loose, saggy skin into tight, glowing, younger-looking skin. So what is that missing link I'm talking about? It's vitamin C. And of course, you may know vitamin C is a powerful immune-boosting nutrient, but did you know that vitamin C is also a critical nutrient for anti-aging? You see, vitamin C is the glue that holds collagen together in your body. And if you're low in vitamin C, well, all of that collagen you're taking is pointless. And here's the thing. Not all vitamin C supplements are created equal. Most of them are not very bioavailable and they simply pass through your digestive system, creating expensive urine. However, our friends over at Purality Health have a patented formula that utilizes something called micelle liposomal technology, which delivers the nutrients into your bloodstream, and it's proven to be 800% more efficient. So if your skin is looking older than you, and the appearance of fine lines, wrinkles, age spots, sagging skin, and otherwise old-looking skin frustrates you, then give Purality Health's MyCell Liposomal Vitamin C a try. It's backed by a 180-day money-back guarantee. So you really have nothing to lose, and you have everything to gain. And today, we have a 30% off coupon for you. Just visit PuralityHealth.com and use the coupon code DRJ to access 30% off your purchase today. Guys, Purality Health is amazing. It's a product. I, I use the lip, liposomal vitamin C, the curcumin gold. My family uses these on a regular basis. They're awesome. So give this a try again. They have a 180-day money-back guarantee and a 30% off coupon for you. Just go to PuralityHealth.com and use the coupon DRJ to get that 30% off your purchase today. In this podcast, I'm being interviewed by my friend, Misty Williams, who runs Rosie Radio, which is a new podcast that she recently launched that has some fantastic information. You guys should check it out on Apple iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Just check out Rosie Radio. And in this interview, we talk a lot about intermittent fasting, the best intermittent fasting strategies to reduce inflammation, to stimulate autophagy, mitochondrial regeneration. We talk about protein intake and how to optimize your protein intake for weight loss, muscle gain, for getting deep levels of cellular healing and autophagy. So there's a lot of really good information that we go through. I think you guys are going to love this information, this podcast. If you know anybody that's looking for advanced nutrition strategies that they can start taking on today, to reduce inflammation, to optimize their overall health, share this podcast with them. Sharing is really caring. When you share this information, you can help change their lives. And also, if you haven't left us a five-star review, 
Now is the time to do that. When you leave us reviews, it helps us reach more people and impact more lives with this message. Thank you so much for doing that. And let's go into the show. I am super excited today to talk to my friend, Dr. David Jockers about intermittent fasting. This has been a topic that comes up a lot in our communities for a while. I feel like it was a very trendy thing to talk about intermittent fasting and people should fast. And then we started seeing women pop up with, um, I tried intermittent fasting, it created issues for me or it backfired or I started experiencing symptoms that I wasn't experiencing before. And so it seems like this idea of intermittent fasting, which can be, you know, having an, an eight, 10, 12, 14 hour fasted window where you're not consuming any food. This could be overnight for a lot of people. That's a big part of their fasting window is going overnight. And you can go to an extreme window, 20 hours, 21, 22 hours of, of not eating. Uh, we're going to unpack this today uh, with Dr. Jockers and just get in a little bit more to this whole uh, conversation about fasting. What is, what is fasting for women? What are the contexts in which women can fast? I've recently heard someone saying that uh, for women in menopause, fasting is a pretty safe bet for women who haven't hit menopause yet. There might be some issues. So it's going to be just really fun to learn from Dr. Jockers on this topic and, um, and hopefully give you guys some insight into how you can use this to optimize your own health. So Dr. Jockers is a doctor of natural medicine and runs one of the most popular natural health websites in drjockers.com which has gotten over 1 million monthly visitors. And his work has been seen on popular media, such as The Dr. Oz Show and Hallmark Home and Family. He is the author of the best-selling book, The Keto Metabolic Breakthrough by Victory Belt Publishing and The Fasting Transformation. He is a world-renowned expert in the area of ketosis, fasting, inflammation, and functional nutrition. He is also the host of the popular Dr. Jocker's Functional Nutrition Podcast. Welcome, David. Well, thanks so much, Missy. Always great to connect with you. Yeah, well, I'm super excited to connect with you too and unpack this conversation a little bit. So why don't you give us all a primer on intermittent fasting? What What is it? Why has it gotten so popular? And let's talk about some of the pitfalls and contextually, how do we integrate in, a, in a intermittent fasting into our own health programs? For sure. Well, intermittent fasting really just means going a period of time without food. It's something all of us do because we all sleep at night and it's something that all of our ancestors have done throughout the history of mankind. And they've done it at a more intense level than us because they didn't have access to food all the time. Like they didn't have refrigerators and pantries. These are actually new things, right? That the fact that we are, even though we all grew up with them throughout the history of mankind, most people, right? 99.9% .9 of the people that have walked through this planet did not have a refrigerator, did not have a pantry, did not have easy access to food. They had to hunt, they had to work for food and they didn't have a whole lot of food storage. So it was not uncommon for them to go long periods of time without food. That could be that long period could be, you know, maybe one meal a day. It could be, you know, it could be two meals a day. It could be one meal every three days, right? People get, went through times of feasting and times of famine. And so that's why I say intermittent fasting. And when we look at the science, it's so powerful and how it actually turns on uh, a sequence in your body. It turns on, it activates repair and healing, deep cellular repair and healing. And so that's why I, I consider it the most ancient, inexpensive and powerful healing strategy known to mankind. Now, with that said, we also have to realize that fasting itself, particularly when we are used to eating regular meals, um, anytime we make a change in our normal routine, it's actually a form of stress, right? Now, when we think about the term stress, we think bad, 
Okay. However, without stress, we atrophy, right? If we don't move our body, if we just sit on a couch, we atrophy, we die early, right? We suffer and we die early. So stress is actually is a very good thing, but it needs to be balanced. It needs to be understood properly and it needs to be balanced. So when we think about fasting, just like exercise, exercise, we think of as a very good input for our body, right? We think, okay, this is going to be really healthy for our body. However, if you actually look at what's happening, particularly if you're exercising at a high intensity, if you actually look at and you do like a blood draw right after the bout of exercise or right during the bout of exercise, some of the markers, the inflammatory markers would be sky high, right? It would look like you just had a heart attack, right? Because you're actually, you're really stressing these muscles. You're causing a lot of catabolic breakdown activity. And of course, you need to be able to recover well. And there's probably a lot of listeners that are like, yeah, I wish I could exercise. I just don't have the energy to do it. I feel like I'm so sore when I'm done. And so everybody's telling them exercise is good, but they don't feel good, right? When they're finished exercising. Well, it can be the same thing with fasting. Fasting is incredibly powerful. The science shows that it's one of the, the best ways to heal your body, shut down inflammation, um, it's really the best nutritional strategy you can practice to keep inflammation under control. However, just like exercise, you can overdo it, right? You can be too aggressive with it too quickly. And so depending on your baseline level of metabolic fitness, right? Um, that's going to determine how much exercise your body's going to be able to handle. That determines also um, how much, you know, how compressed your eating window would be. Like you mentioned, Okay, you could do like an eight-hour eating window where you eat your meals, let's say, between 10 a.m. and 6 p.m., and that can work great for, you know, for one person, but it, it could, you know, somebody else may not be metabolically fit enough to be able to do that. So if they start immediately doing that, it can overstress their system, and that can cause poor sleep, fatigue, um, even weight gain, right? For some individuals, when they're overwhelmed, when, they're, when their body's stressed and they're not able to adapt effectively to it. Um, it can cause a whole lot of unwanted symptoms. And so that's why we have to look at where the individual's baseline level of metabolic flexibility, their ability to burn both fat and sugar for fuel, right? So you should be burning mostly fat when you're at rest, just a tiny bit of sugar as a fuel source. When you exercise at a high intensity, you should switch to burning mostly sugar and just a tiny bit of fat. Your ability to kind of switch between those like the ease of switching, it determines your level of metabolic flexibility. Somebody who's not metabolically flexible, when they go a few hours between meals and their blood sugar goes down, they get hangry, right? They may have cravings, they might have a headache, they might feel irritable, they might be really hungry. For some people, they get really hungry. For some people, they get nauseous. They have trouble sleeping, right? If they you know, go long, too long between meals, just between lunch and dinner, that, you know, if they go too long because they're so metabolically inflexible, it can cause a whole lot of, uh, you know, stress hormone issues, and uh, it can actually throw off their sleep later at night, even though they're fed, right? When they, let's say they eat dinner, the cascade of events that took place because they missed that meal and they had a hypoglycemic reaction could cause poor sleep at night. So we have to look at where is your baseline level of metabolic flexibility? Somebody who's very metabolically flexible should easily be able to go four or five hours between meals and feel fine right? They should easily be able to fast 12, 14, 16 hours overnight, like finishing dinner at seven and really shouldn't feel hungry till let's say maybe 10, 11, 12 o'clock the next day, right? And if you're really metabolically flexible, 
you might not even feel hungry very often. Like I, I know for myself, it's very rare that I feel hungry until I start eating, right? It's like my body is so metabolically flexible. It's so good at burning fat when I'm fasting that, and I didn't used to be like this. This is something that I trained into my system that I can fast for very long periods of time, not feel hungry, exercise, you know, like today I did a, I did a workout when I was fasted for 24 hours. So I, I hadn't eaten since lunch yesterday. I worked out at lunch today. And after that workout, even though I worked out very intensely, I still wasn't even hungry. Now I did eat, I broke my fast and I did eat. And, you know, probably about uh, a quarter of the way into my meal, all of a sudden I felt, oh, wow, I'm hungry. <laughs> right. So it like woke my appetite up. Right. And that's mm -hmm. a sign because my body was so metabolically flexible. Now, years ago, when I was a personal trainer, my early, uh, my late teens, early 20s, it was like I, I could not go to sleep without a protein shake before I went to bed. First thing in the morning, I was ravenous, had to eat like a huge uh, breakfast, right? And I thought I had to eat six meals a day in order to maintain my muscle mass. I was very metabolically inflexible. So this is something that I've trained over time. And the benefit of that is it reduces overall inflammation, significantly lowers inflammation, improves your insulin sensitivity and your blood sugar regulation. When you're burning fat for fuel, your body produces ketones, right? So between meals, if you go, if you extend that period of time between meals, your body has to use body fat for energy. So not only does that help you burn your own body fat, which, you know, most people out there are looking to do even thin people. It's important that we burn fat. I'm, I'm very lean. It's important that we burn fat because that's where we store our toxins. And it's also a great energy source. Now we can't get fatty acids up through the blood brain barrier because they're too large. So our body actually creates our liver takes fatty acids, converts them into something called ketones. Ketones are smaller than fatty acids. They're water soluble. They cross into the blood brain barrier. And the way that our mitochondria burns these for energy is this uncoupling process where it actually almost, it's almost like a, a, a wasting of calories because it produces a lot of heat. But in that process, we actually produce more mitochondria and the mitochondria become more efficient. And our mitochondria will produce all the energy in our, in our cells, right? And the more mitochondria, the more healthy, functional mitochondria that you have, the healthier your body is. And your brain, your nervous system actually has more mitochondria per cell than almost any other organ system other than our reproductive organs. They have about 10,000 mitochondria per cell, whereas your muscle cells have around 1,000, 1 to 2,000 mitochondria per cell. So our nervous system is really, you know, dependent upon healthy mitochondrial function and ketones when they're also a signaling molecule in our brain. And what they signal is they shut down inflammation. So the body has these inflammatory amplifiers, right? And inflammation we know is, you know, at the root of all chronic degenerative disease. And when we have inflammation in our brain, it produces things like fatigue, for example. Fatigue is you know, commonly associated with what we call neuroendocrine inflammation, where there's inflammation affecting the pituitary gland, the hypothalamus, all these key um, you know, messenger-based endocrine organs that produce hormones. And then it also produces inflammation that affects our mood, right? It affects our neurotransmitter balance. It affects our memory and our hippocampus. And so when people have inflamed brains, they get brain fog, fatigue, mood disorders, things like that. When ketones become elevated in the bloodstream, it shuts down what we call the inflammasome, which again is this inflammation amplifier, right? It like really jacks up inflammation when it's, when it's activated. 
we turn that off, right? And so now inflammation is very, very low. Now we're able to function at a really high level. And that's why a lot of people like to get their body. Like when people are doing intermittent fasting, a lot of people say, wow, like I feel like I think better. I'm, I think sharper. Um, I'm able to get my best work done. This is what I hear all the time. Okay, people with mood disorders actually tend to do better, right? When they're in a fasted state. Now, again, not for everybody, not right away. We have to kind of condition the body, but the benefits that you can get from intermittent fasting when done properly, when you've built up the metabolic flexibility to handle this are quite remarkable. Hey guys, I just wanted to interrupt this podcast to tell you about one of my favorite food products. I mean, if you're out there and you're looking for healthy snack options or, you know, really healthy food, sometimes it can be hard to find a gut-friendly gluten-free snack option. And that's why you need to know about Paleo Valley. They're 100% grass-fed beef and 100% pasture-raised turkey meat sticks are not only loaded with delicious flavor, but they are completely free of carbs and sugar. Such a great bioavailable protein snack to grab on the go. I oftentimes will eat them with meals too. Like if I eat a meal and I'm still a little bit hungry, feel like I need a little bit more protein and healthy fats, I go ahead and have them. You know, they're gluten-free, they're soy-free, they're dairy-free, GMO-free, preservative-free. I mean, what's not to love about that? On top of that, they actually also have probiotics in them as well. So you're getting the protein, healthy fats, and you're getting probiotics, lots of key minerals and nutrients in there, and they taste amazing. And now you can use my coupon code, Jockers, just my last name, J-O-C-K-E-R-S, to get 15% off your order today. Simply go to their website, paleovalley.com, and enter Jockers at checkout, and you'll receive 15% off your entire purchase. The link and discount code are also available in the show notes of today's episode. Once you try these meat sticks, you won't be able to get enough. My kids and I absolutely love them, and I know your family will too. So try them out today. So I want to talk more about metabolic metabolic flexibility. I'm going to say it three times fast. Um, because this is, I think, a really big uh, topic for the women in the Healing Rosie community, especially. You know, there's a lot of us that are dealing with some variation of flabby, foggy, and fatigued. In my case, I found out a year ago that I had mold toxicity. Um, I also have uh, found some heavy metals, aluminum and mercury um, that I need to take care of. I've been working on taking care of. Um, I, my, my mold issues probably go back at least a decade, um, maybe even further than that, but to an event where the mercury fillings were improperly drilled from my mouth, I gained 45 pounds in about three or four months. It was very scary. Um, I was living in a house built in 1892, a beautiful restored Victorian in Nashville, Tennessee, and likely picked up a lot of mold in that environment. Mm -hmm. And over time, I watched, I have my labs all the way back from when my journey first started. Over time, my thyroid is crashing, going down, down, down. My adrenals going down, 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 right? Everything is going down because I have this load of toxicity that my body cannot eradicate on its own. And I don't know it's there, right? So I don't, I don't know to eradicate it. So if I go into our Facebook group today and just start scrolling through, you're gonna see women giving many variations of the same story, but basically there's toxicity issues and all these other things. So metabolic flexibility, I think is a really important piece of, of being able to leverage the benefits of intermittent fasting. And I would love for you just to talk to us about 
how we restore metabolic flexibility when we've gone through something that has compromised our systems in some way. I would say many of the listeners would fit that picture, right? How do we, how do we know that we're metabolically inflexible? And then how do we restore metabolic flexibility? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it is a really important topic. And I'm sorry to hear about that with the mold, because that can be a serious issue. If we are constantly in an environment that is creating a fight or flight response, right? All the time, right? Like you're sleeping and you're breathing in mold and it's just creating this fight or flight response, overloading your system with toxicity and mold in particular, those mycotoxins really have an affinity for your neuroendocrine system. Like I was talking about your pituitary gland, your, your um, hypothalamus, right? And they affect your leptin levels, which now you don't get satiety. They drive up inflammation throughout your body. So um, it can be a really, really big deal. And, um, you know, if there is a chronic, a serious chronic stressor, it's very hard to build metabolic flexibility until you reduce that stressor. And that could be like a really bad relationship, somebody yelling at you all the time, or it could be, um, you know, PTSD, right? Uh, post-traumatic stress disorder, it could be mold toxicity. Um, you know, it could be heavy metals that you're being exposed to. It could be, you know, a bad reaction to a pharmaceutical event, right? Things like that. Um, could be, you know, a virus, bad reaction to COVID-19 or something like that, right? So all these things, we've got to do the best we can to, to reduce our exposure to, right? First off, and that, that is really key. Um, and, and, and then from there, as we're building metabolic flexibility, and this is really something that um, it should be a part of all healing protocols, um, is building this level of metabolic flexibility. The way you know you're metabolically flexible is you're able to go longer periods of time without food and be able to function properly, right? Like if you can go 16 hours without eating and you feel good, right? You're able to do all the things that you need to do, you know, and then you eat a meal and you don't just crash afterwards, right? That's a sign that you're pretty metabolically flexible. It's actually really good, okay? Um, if you can't do that, if you can't go more than a few hours without consuming food, or if you do fast and then you have to crash afterwards, right? You're exhausted right after you eat your first, your, your meal, that's a sign of poor metabolically metabolic flexibility. And so the way that we start to build metabolic flexibility is number one is with your diet, we want to reduce the amount of sugar and carbs that are in your diet, right? So that's kind of the first step is reducing sugar, starches, different things like that, getting rid of bad fats, like uh, all your, your, your vegetable and seed oils. So that's corn oil, soybean oil, safflower oil, cotton seed oil, peanut oil. Um, what else? Uh, canola oil, right? All those kind of oils that you'll find in processed foods and in a lot of different condiments just drive up inflammation in the body. So you got to get rid of those. Focus on healthy fats, avocados, extra virgin olive oil, particularly like a fresh pressed high polyphenol, extra virgin olive oil, amazing for your body. Grass-fed butter, um, coconut oil, coconut milk, um, pasture-raised eggs, grass-fed meat products, right? Animal products, things like that. And then I would recommend prioritizing protein in your meals, right? So the things that you want when you're looking at your meals, you want to think, okay, where is my protein? Where are my healthy fats? Where is my fiber and my polyphenols, right? And polyphenols is the way that you remember that is it's just colorful fruits and vegetables, right? You should have a lot of color in your meals. And so you want to make sure you got protein on board. I recommend at least 30 grams of protein in each meal. That's going to provide more satiety 
and it's going to have a good blood sugar stabilizing, insulin stabilizing effect. And then you add in good fats right now. Most people out there, about 30 grams of fat in a meal is great. Okay. Some people actually want a little bit more, and that's usually men, uh, because they, you know, particularly active men can, cause they can consume more calories for some, particularly women, um, and particularly women who've had digestive issues or maybe their gallbladder removed might need a little bit less like 20 grams of fat, right? So somewhere in that range, 20 to 30 to maybe up to 40. Uh, most of your listeners probably do great in that 20 to 30, 35 range grams of fat in a meal. Again, healthy fats. So you got your protein, your healthy fats, and then you can fill it in with low glycemic vegetables, broccoli, cauliflower, uh, you know, different cruciferous vegetables, leafy greens, cucumbers, um, hearts of palm, artichokes, right? Different things like that. I love to make a Mediterranean salad, for example, with artichokes and hearts of palm and uh, tomato and bell pepper and cucumbers and things like that. Extra virgin olive oil, lemon juice on it, lots of herbs. It's one of my go-tos, right? So you're getting a lot of color in there. You can do berries, right? Berries are loaded with polyphenols, lots of color uh, in those. So that's what you should be, should be thinking about with your meals. And I recommend consuming three meals a day, okay? Uh, when you're first starting, right? Now you may be able to move to two meals a day, um, but in the beginning you do three meals a day with at least 30 grams of protein, 20 to 30 grams of fat, okay? And then lots of color and keep the grains, the starches out as much as possible. And if you do that, you're gonna notice that your body, your blood sugar stays more stable. It brings down insulin, right? Which is um, the hormone that comes and takes sugar out of the bloodstream and puts it into the cells. Insulin also, as long as insulin's elevated, right? You can't burn fat for fuel. So the higher your, the more carbs you're taking in, the more insulin your body's going to produce. Also those bad fats, those seed oils, they, they damage the insulin receptor and so therefore your body starts producing more and more insulin to get the sugar out of the bloodstream and into the cells. When insulin's elevated, you're not going to be able to burn fat for fuel, right? So you've got to keep insulin down. So this kind of eating is a insulin friendly, friendly eating plan, right? So you do three meals a day um, and you're consuming those meals. Now, ideally in the beginning, you do around a 12 to 14 hour fasting window and about a 10 to 12 hour eating window. What that means is let's say you eat your first meal at 7 a.m. Then you'd want to finish your last meal somewhere between 5 to 7 p.m. Okay. Or let's say, you know, you don't feel super hungry in the morning. You eat your first meal at 8 a.m. And then you have till, you know, let's say 6 to 8 p.m. Uh, to finish your last meal. So you're doing like a one-to-one -one ratio of eating, right? You're eating your meals in a 12-hour window. You're fasting in a 12-hour window. Now, when you're fasting, you don't consume any calories. You can consume water. You can consume herbal tea. If you want to do black coffee, like in the morning, that's fine. But I recommend no calories during that period of time, okay? Or a, a minimal amount. Like if there's, you know, uh, two calories in a supplement you take, not a big deal. But um, no, you know, intentional calories that you're consuming. And so you do that. And if you can push it to 14 hours and the, the, really the best way to do that is when you wake up in the morning, you hydrate, right? So you drink 16 ounces of water or herbal tea before you even think about food. And what that does is that actually extends your stomach. And we have this hunger hormone called ghrelin. 
And ghrelin is released at times when we're used to eating. So if you're used to eating breakfast every morning at seven, then guess what? It's a condition response. Your body's going to say, it's going to release ghrelin. It's going to say, okay, this is breakfast time. I'm hungry um, because it's something you've conditioned, right? The other thing is that when there's nothing in the stomach, you release ghrelin. So as you extend your stomach through drinking hot water, right? Through hydrating, now it shuts down the release of ghrelin and you no longer feel as hungry, right? You, you, in fact, most people notice that they're not even hungry when they do that. And particularly, I like some sort of warm beverage. It's good to tie in a warm beverage. So it could be like warm lemon water or it could be a herbal tea or something like that. Um, even coffee, right? If you do okay with coffee, um, what that does, that warm beverage actually activates your vagus nerve, which is Latin for wanderer. Vagus nerve is cranial nerve 10, travels from your brain stem down into all your viscera, your heart, your lungs, your digestive system. And in the digestive system, it activates motility or peristalsis, which is these wave-like muscle contractions in your gut to help you go poop, right? To help move things through and help you poop. And in the morning between 6 a.m. and 9 a.m., your colon is most active, meaning that that is the best time to get as much waste out as possible. And so the warm beverage will help activate that and help you move your bowels, right? And you should move your bowels once, maybe twice in the morning, um, you know, in the first hour or two of waking up. And that's a sign of a healthy digestive system. It's a sign that you're detoxifying bad estrogens, uh, different chemicals, things like that. You're getting that stuff out of your system. So the hydration will really help, particularly, again, that warm beverage. You may even put a little bit of salt in there, like sea salt, uh, which can also, it, it kind of, it's a synergy there because the sea salt will also help to activate the peristalsis as well. So again, you move your bowels, coffee, a lot of people use coffee to help move the bowels. So again, as long as, you know, coffee doesn't stimulate more cravings, right? Really, when you drink coffee, it's coffee is a performance enhancement tool. So when you drink coffee, you should feel great. If you notice that you're having cravings, uh, you, you crash two hours, two, three hours after having coffee, you feel more inflamed, more joint pain, brain fog, then don't drink coffee, right? You're not responding well to it uh, if that's the case. However, if you do feel great um, and it helps you move your bowels, I think that's a good thing. Uh, coffee itself is a bitter herb, which is actually really good for the liver. Um, so it helps with detoxification, again, helps move things through your bowels. So that's a great strategy. So hydrating well in the morning, eating those meals with at least 30 grams of protein, somewhere in that 20 to maybe 35 gram rate ratio of fat of healthy fats in the meal, lots of uh, color in your meals, doing that three meals, no snacks. Okay. No snacks, three meals a day, right? If you notice that you eat those three meals with at least, you know, following the criteria I talked about, and you're just still hungry, you might actually need a little bit more protein or a little bit more fat or maybe both. So if you're not bloating after your meals, right? You don't feel like, oh my gosh, I just ate too much. You know, that, that, that kind of feeling that we get, you may just need a little bit more, right? So you can add in just a little bit more, especially if you're active, you may notice that for most people, they notice, I would say 90% of people who are not like doing intense physical training, 30 grams of protein, 20 to 35 grams of fat in a meal, and then fiber with, with these vegetables they are like, Oh, I'm good. <laughs> That, that satiated me, right? And so that's mo what most people will notice. And that's going to start building that metabolic flexibility, right? And then if you're able to do that, you're able to go, let's say you ate your, your first meal at eight, your second meal between 12 and one, and then your third meal, let's say um, 5.30, right? Now you're going, you're starting to go four or five hours between meals. 
Again, you shouldn't feel hungry. You want to hydrate between meals. A lot of people in our society make the mistake of hydrating with meals. It's actually not what you want to do. You drink the smallest amount of water with your meals, only like maybe a little bit to take maybe some supplements or maybe put a little apple cider vinegar in your water to help activate all your digestive uh, organs. Apple cider vinegar really helps with that, helps with stomach acid, bile, and pancreatic enzyme production. So you just consume a little bit of water with your meals. But between meals, like let's say starting an hour, one to two hours after a meal, you want to drink at least eight to 16 ounces of water. Again, it could be herbal tea or something like that before the next meal, at least that much, right? Really, you know, probably 24 ounces of water. And if you do that, you're not going to be hungry between meals. In fact, you're going to notice your energy is good. You might also take a little bit of salts. The electrolytes with the hydration will help keep your brain really active, your energy levels really high. If you're noticing between meals, you just feel like, oh man, I'm just feeling fatigued, right? Try the hydration. It's probably one of the easiest tricks to get the energy back up. Now, it could be a number of reasons why you're feeling fatigued. Perhaps um, you have gut dysbiosis and the meal you consumed, you didn't digest well, you're producing a lot of toxic compounds. Um, that could be one of the reasons. It could be the fact that you maybe have a food sensitivity to something that you consumed. Um, so there's a number of different reasons why that could happen. But most people notice if they hydrate well, it reduces that sort of reaction and they feel a lot better and it suppresses hunger. And so now your body gets better at burning fat for fuel. And then as you, you could start to tie in some exercise or some movement, just some light movement, like taking a walk, right? Getting your body moving itself is going to help reduce your insulin, right? It's going to help you burn fat more effectively. Even if you're not doing high intensity exercise, just getting out and taking a walk is a great thing to be doing on a regular basis, right? Our ancestors would walk five to eight miles a day. Very few of us are doing that. So if you can get a mile or two of intentional walking in, that's fantastic, right? So start doing that. And then as you're feeling better, your energy levels are going up. If you do this, you will start noticing some improvements here. Um, and, and then you also obviously want to prioritize good sleep. I didn't talk about that, but optimizing your circadian rhythm, making sure that you're going to bed early, you're turning off all your blue lights, like all your, 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 um, you know, the, the, yeah, exactly. All your, you know, try to reduce your exposure to screens, dim your lights, put on blue light blocking glasses at night. Um, you know, sleep in a really dark room, cool, cool and dark right? Do things to help optimize your sleep. That's a really critical player here, reducing stress in general. And if you're doing all of those things, you're stacking those things, you are going to start to see improvements and then your energy is going to come up and then you can start tightening that eating window, right? And possibly doing like a 16 hour uh, overnight fast or an 18 hour overnight fast. And maybe instead of three meals, you just do two large meals, right? So it just depends on the individual. But the first thing we want to do is kind of create this baseline level of metabolic flexibility. And then we want to kind of prime it from there. I just wanted to interrupt this podcast to let you know that if you were a coffee drinker, I have some critical information you need to know. You see, coffee is the number one source of antioxidants people are consuming all around the world. It's rich in chlorogenic and caffeic acid, which are polyphenols that stabilize your blood sugar, support gut health and improve your brain. And they also stimulate autophagy and deep cellular healing. So coffee has many amazing health benefits, but there's a dark side to coffee. It often carries mold 
dangerous mycotoxins and is heavily sprayed with pesticides that lead to chronic disease. It's also acidic, causing stomach issues, and many have to stop drinking coffee as they get older because it irritates their stomach lining. That's why I started drinking Life Boost Coffee. I wanted something that had all the health benefits with none of the mold and chemicals found in regular coffee. Plus, it's a shade-grown coffee, which is naturally a low-acid coffee that doesn't hurt my stomach. And they have hundreds of testimonials of people who couldn't stomach traditional coffee who can now enjoy coffee on a daily basis without any digestive discomfort. They also third-party test for 450-plus toxins, including mycotoxins, molds, heavy metals, pesticides, and even glyphosate, just to make sure it's the cleanest, healthiest cup they can provide to their customers. I also really like these guys because they build schools for their farmers' children near the coffee farms where they harvest their, their coffee beans. And their corporate sponsors are the Rainforest Trust to prevent deforestation and protect wildlife. They really care about the environment. And because you're listening to my podcast right now, you can get 50% off your first order by going to www.lifeboostdeal.com. That's lifeboostdeal.com. They are, again, shade-grown, low acid, clean and free of toxins, and they taste amazing. Just go to lifeboostdeal.com to get 50% off now. So you're talking about metabolic flexibility. The first thing you said is getting rid of your stressors. So, or at least reducing them. I don't know if you can get rid of all of well, them, right? Right. <laughs> Minimize, reduce. Yeah. Um, and then you mentioned a lot of dietary improvements, which are all really, really great tips. Talk to me a little bit about women who are in various stages of menopause or postmenopausal. There's been a lot of chatter around um, women, maybe in perimenopause or women who are still cycling, maybe still um, fertile and getting pregnant, having children, um, should be careful with intermittent fasting. What is your take on all of that? Yeah, for sure. I would say women in general should be careful and cautious with it, but don't have the idea that women can't do it, right? You just need to be careful and cautious with it. Um, I would say the toughest, the most challenging demographic when it comes, well, there's two very challenging demographics when it comes to intermittent fasting. One is you're very lean, very active, very busy, uh, menstruating female, right? Maybe she's got a family, a career that she's juggling, and she loves to exercise, right? So she's stacking a lot of stressors. You know, she's a go-go, go-getter. Um, and then she's like, okay, I hear about fasting. I'm going to do that. And she's already lean. And then the body says, okay, wow, I'm already at this, the, you know, and we all have kind of this threshold. Women have this threshold of body fat that when they get under this threshold, the body says, okay, wait, wait, this is, this is, you know, a threat to our survival. We can't be fertile right now. Okay. And it starts to actually suppress, right. Uh, our energy production, right. So our body, our cells actually start to go into a defense mode when we do that. And so if the woman's already lean and then she starts doing, you know, fasting, not consuming enough food in her eating windows, then it's going to trigger this level, this stress response. So for that individual, they do need to be careful. We do something called crescendo fasting a lot of times. And actually, before I go into that, I'll also mention the other demographic is somebody suffering with, um, you know, chronic fatigue, right? That that individual that's been in a you know a mold moldy house for ten years, right, or whatever it is, um, somebody with fibromyalgia and chronic fatigue. So with those two individuals, we we really want to start where I talked about you know, before, uh, 
Um, you know, and that was really what I was mentioning before. So tailored to the person dealing with chronic fatigue, the person that's already reactive, right? Doing these things already out may reduce it a little bit, right? For a lot of women, they're overtraining. I used to be a personal trainer in a gym and I see a lot of way too much training bring enough. So really about three to five days of exercise a week of intense exercise. And so, um, so with that, we want to get the exercise to the proper point. We want to really get that person sleeping well. And then we may do crescendo fasting where we're doing like a 14, 16 hour fast. We're kind of stressing the system in that 16 hour fast, but we're only doing it two days a week on non-consecutive days and non-exercise days, non-high intensity exercise days, right? With that individual. Okay. So we might do it Monday and Friday. So non-consecutive days, so the body can readapt. We're also really trying to make sure that we're getting enough calories, enough protein during that eating window. That's really, really important. And then we can also um, do some diet variation based around their menstrual cycle. So for example, for most women, when they first start menstruating, like the first several days of menstruation, it's actually a really good time to do more intermittent fasting, okay? Um, but as they get closer to ovulation, they actually need a little bit more carbohydrates, right? So as they, ovulation is day 14, so roughly day 11 or day 12, we might add in a little bit more carbohydrates. So we might do more root vegetables during that, that period of time. And then after ovulation, we can go kind of back into a, a lower carb intermittent fasting cycle. And then the week before menstruation, most women notice that they have a lot more cravings. Okay. And that's actually when we need more insulin. And so that's when, you know, we'll have, we'll have women eat more carbohydrates, root vegetables. You know, again, we're not, we're, we're, we're avoiding the processed foods for the most part. Um, but we're, we're going with like root vegetables, beets, carrots, um, sweet potatoes, different things like that during that window to help, uh, help the body get more free hormones to build up that uterine lining for menstruation. And so that's pretty much, um, you know, a cycle that we'll often do. I have some blogs about it and things like that, um, for that, that particular fasting cycle. But those two strategies where we'll do like a crescendo fasting two days a week, non-consecutive days, where we'll do a little bit more of an intense, kind of more of a stressor fast. And even though that seems like, oh, why would we want to do that? The actual reason is we want to challenge the body to get better at burning fat for fuel. And so when we go a longer period of time without consuming food, our body has to adapt. And so it starts to burn its own body fat for fuel and it starts to create more mitochondria and it undergoes something called autophagy where it breaks down old damaged cellular organelles, cellular debris and creates new healthy cellular debris, right? So we're actually, I'm sorry, new healthy cellular organelles. So we're actually recycling the cellular components, creating more stress resilient cells, okay? The two greatest stimulators for this autophagy process are fasting or, or, or calorie restriction in general, as well as exercise, right? Those are the two greatest stimulators of it. So we want to stimulate it, right? But we want to do it in an intelligent mode where we don't overstress the body, right? So that's why we might do it two days a week, non-consecutive days, um, and maybe just two to three hours more of a fasting window than what they normally do.
Okay. And then if somebody with chronic disease or chronic illness, um, we're going to do what I talked about earlier, right? Where we're doing kind of that 12 to 14 hour overnight fast, eating those meals. And then we might also add in crescendo fasting in there. And there's different ways of graduating it up, right? So we might start two days a week uh, doing this sort of intermittent fast and then maybe bump it up to three days a week if they feel good doing that, like a Monday, Wednesday, Friday, something along those lines. Um, and then, you know, we might do four days a week, right? So we will experiment based on how their body's responding to it, how they're feeling, right? If somebody, a lot of people will say, hey, I started intermittent fasting and I just felt like my joints felt better, my brain felt better and they're doing two or three days a week. Great. Well, we might try adding in one more day, right? And see how you feel with that and kind of compressing that eating window. Or what we might try to do is just do two or three days a week of a 16 hour fast, but one day a week where we stress it even more and we go to 20 to 24 hours fasting, right? We only eat one meal. Let's say we do a lunch to lunch fast, right? And the reason why we might need to do that is to further enhance that autophagy process, that cellular rejuvenation process, and to burn more fat for fuel to get those ketones up to shut down inflammation even more. So how would someone know if they, say they're trying intermittent fasting, how would they know if they were going too fast or trying to do too much or pushing it too hard? Yeah, I mean, it really, if you're noticing sleep disturbances, right? So when you're doing it, if you notice sleep disturbances, mm -hmm. if you notice... Uh, a lot more brain fog, like you should feel good as an adaptation to fasting. Now, there could be other factors, perhaps the day you were fasting, you had a tremendous amount of stress, you got really angry, right, or at somebody or something like that, there could be other factors. But with all variables taken, excuse me, into account, when you do the fast, you should notice that you have better energy, better mental clarity, um, that your gut feels better, that you sleep better, right? You should notice a lot of these great benefits. And if you're noticing that you're moving in the right direction, if you're noticing that consistently when you're doing this intermittent fast, that you don't feel good, right? Um, you don't have energy, you don't have brain fog. You may be going about it too aggressively, or you may not have done like the initial steps, which were, you know, get the blood sugar stable by consuming those meals with 30 grams of protein, all those things that I talked about earlier, get your circadian rhythms under control, going to bed at a good time, really doing your best to try to optimize your sleep, getting morning sunshine, getting out and moving early in the day, right? Those things that help set your circadian rhythm. Those are probably the two most important factors that along with reducing stress uh, to allow your body, to, it's kind of like the precursors, right? Or the prerequisites to now be able to adapt well to fasting. Yeah, all right. There's so much good stuff. I know you have a lot of stuff on your blog. We are going to uh, do a little due diligence and put some great blogs that Dr. Jockers has created about this topic in our show notes. If you just want to pop over to healingrosie.com, you'll be able to find this episode and uh, check out his blogs. I know you've got a great website, drjockers.com, right? So yeah, that's right. And I also have a great book called The Fasting Transformation, where I really go through all of this in so much more detail. I also troubleshoot a lot of the issues people deal with, right? For example, people that have gut dysbiosis, as they start fasting, a lot of times they're gonna release uh, gut-induced endotoxins. And if they already have intestinal permeability or leaky gut, these endotoxins can also drive up some inflammation. So we talk about strategies, utilizing things like binders to help grab, grab these uh, gut-induced 
endotoxins and pull them out of the body. For some people, you know, we store, we store toxins in our body fat. And so for some individuals, as they start to fast, they burn body fat, but that also liberates a lot of these different toxins that they may have. So we want to sweep those things out as well. There's things like, for example, fulvic acids or bioactive carbons that are great for binding toxins in circulation, moving those out of the system. There's things like glutathione boosting agents that really help with this. Um, and so there's a number of different things that we can do to help reduce unwanted responses uh, to the fasting process. Yeah, that's awesome. All right, you guys, I love this. Thank you so much, Dr. Jockers, for spending some time with us, breaking down all the all of the benefits and cautions around um, intermittent fasting. You guys check out the website, the show notes to get the links that you're looking for. And thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you so much, David. All right. Thanks so much, Misty. All right. We'll see you guys. Well, that's all for this show. And I want to thank you again for spending your valuable time with me today. And if there was something you heard in this interview that you have questions on, or you want to dive into deeper, then drjockers.com is the best place to go. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider taking just a quick moment and giving us a great review. Your reviews help us influence more people and transform more lives. And if you took something valuable away from this episode, then please share it with someone in your life you know it can help. We'll see you soon on a future podcast. Be blessed, everybody.